<clears throat> Welcome to the Outlook World Outlook podcast. Today's guest is Rose Matiso. Rose Matiso currently holds a position of research director at the Energy for Growth Hub, where she focuses her research on energy transitions and emerging energy technologies within the African context. She has also served as a senior fellow in the Office of International Climate and Clean Energy at the U.S. Department of Energy, Energy and Innovation Policy Fellow at the Office of U.S. Senator Christopher Coons, co-founded and previously served as the CEO of the Mawazo Institute, an organization that supports the development of female scholars and thought leaders in East Africa, and is also a Dartmouth alumni of the class of 2008. Our first question would be, can you provide an overview of how the current energy landscape in Africa aligns with its development ambitions? Um, uh, sure, and I'll just I'll focus my remarks on the power sector, which is a big part of the energy ecosystem, but you know, not all of it, obviously. Um, and that's you know where I work uh, and is, I think, pretty indicative of uh, broader energy issues. So um, second caveat, it's obviously it's difficult to speak about Africa as a whole, the African landscape as a whole, um, uh, and you know specifics vary from country to country. But I think there are some general trends, which is um, energy production and consumption on the continent is quite low. You know, I think the uh, entire installed capacity for the entire continent of Africa is, you know, what China, you know, puts like. Uh, builds every year or two or something like that. It's you know really, really really low baseline. Um, a lot of that is underinvestment in new generation, um, and uh, a lot of and connected to that is just there's not enough supply. So we don't have industrial centers of production that could be big energy consumers, that would then kind of create demand for more energy development, which is a creates this virtuous cycle, and all of this is connected to development because obviously you need power to support industrial activity and then industrial activity and other productive uses creates jobs um, and then you know those productive activities also create demand for power and so there's a business model that works for the power producers you know and then it's just like a virtual cycle and so because this feedback loop is broken at so many points uh, what we have in Africa when it comes to energy and development is we don't have uh, uh, we have very low energy consumption and production. We have stagnate, stagnating kind of productive sectors, and we don't have enough opportunities and jobs. So you know, um, I think one of the stats that I I think about often is you know about uh, uh, you know a fraction of of twelve million Africans, young Africans that enter the job market every year, and about only three million or something find a job. You know, it's kind of quite stark, and this is. You know, obviously, going to get worse as the years go by. So, Africa's development ambitions are definitely being hindered by the energy development landscape. Outside of the power sector, I'll just make a quick note. I think um, a really big issue in energy is on uh, cooking. So, uh, this most most cooking is is done with um, non-modern fuels. So charcoal and wood and stuff like that, and that is environmentally destructive, but it's actually really, really bad for social well-being. So a lot of like um, health health challenges come from that, massive time burden. And so this is something that a lot of people don't think about often, but like cooking 
um, and use of biomass is a massive, massive challenge within Africa too in the energy sector that has big development implications. So I work more on power than on um, that sector. Our second question is, what was the driving force behind establishing the Energy for Growth Hub and what are its primary goals for the African continent? So the Energy for Growth Hub was uh, founded by my boss, Todd Moss, who's the executive director, um, was um, really with this inspiring vision that you know inspired me to come and work with him. Um, central to the Energy for Growth Hub is the idea that no one's potential should be squandered because of a lack of affordable, abundant energy. And uh, you know, this is obviously the case uh, because we don't have um, power systems that can generate opportunities. And so, at the really, really at the heart of the Energy for Growth Hub is this kind of this idea between opportunity potential and the lack of affordable, abundant power. Um, how we try to get at that problem is by connecting evidence and data to shape policy. And so we have audiences of policymakers all over the world in rich countries and in developing countries um, to try and advise on which policies can really have the biggest impact in um, unlocking um, affordable energy for, for energy poor populations. So on that note, what are the most pressing challenges in ensuring modern energy access for all, especially in all these developing economies? So what, and also you just mentioned some of these policy solutions. What are some of those policy ideas that you're working with? Oh goodness, yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's like, what is the one most pressing challenge? So there are many. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, uh, it's, a, it's a complex ecosystem and I think Part of the issue is a lot of policy conversation is at the level of, you know, silver bullet generic prescriptions, um, which is what is not needed. Um, so I would say a really, really big challenge, especially in the African context, is precisely that: is that we don't have a lot of specificity around what specific geographies and countries need. Um, part of that is we don't have very good data, we don't have a lot of uh, expertise uh, or, or the expertise is not like incorporated into policy discussions. And so I would say one big challenge is really kind of developing a more fine-tuned picture of what different um, countries need and which resources they have to bear and how those resources should be developed. So for example in Kenya we have different resource endowment from a different country. Um, and, you know, we actually have a really, our grid is really green, it's 90% renewable, and that's because we have a lot of geothermal. Um, and, you know, the challenges uh, in our ecosystem around our power sector are not so much making it green, it's already really green, it's just how do we make our infrastructure stronger, how do we um, increase demand so that we can have increased consumption and kind of create opportunities in industries. and. And the strategies have to build up, be built around that context. So one, I think, is like just more effort needs to be made to kind of add specificity to our understanding of what the situation is. And, and a lot of that is empowering people on the ground to kind of shape that vision. I think broadly, we just need, uh, there, are some, there are some challenges in the energy space that are 
it's just shameful. Like I think it's shameful that women still don't have access to electricity. And so I think that we just really need to have alignment in the international community to just solve that problem. Um, and then um, uh, and direct resources towards it. Because um, I, I really think there's a big social imperative. But um, I think the big picture problem, the big picture challenge of once we have a clear, clearer picture of what different countries need, I, I think being able to unblock financing and investment to kind of realize those visions is really, really tough. And so I think the financing gap is, is, is a massive challenge in this space because um, you know, plans are plans, but if we can't finance them and you know, the, the macroeconomic picture creates you know, significant challenges for African countries to finance infrastructure development. And so this is where I think multilateral development banks, development finance institutions need to play a much bigger role in de risking uh, driving investment into these countries to just kind of un unblock those those financing channels. Um, this is just, is just a few things, but you know, I guess I would say to summarize, one, let's try and develop a clearer picture about what is needed, context to context, and not kind of thinking um, generalities, and that will really require people on the ground um, shaping that vision and kind of strengthening our data and our expertise and all that on the ground. Second thing is just um, uh, ensuring that development partners are channeling resources using the right mechanisms, including some resources to just end desperate energy poverty. Um, so zooming in on Kenya, and they already have a very green um, energy environment, um, what is the role, do you think, of technological in innovations in improving um, renewable energy and addressing um, Africa and Kenya's uh, energy deficit? Yeah, so I would say um, technology is instrumentally crucial uh, to doing exactly that, but you know, not just in Kenya, obviously, not just in Africa, all over the world. I think that um, we now have a lot of technologies that can you know, solve that, that have matured and have come down in cost, and that's everything from solar and wind and even batteries. Costs are coming down. Electric vehicles. I think there's a pipeline of really game-changing technologies that will um, shape the energy future in Africa and all over the world. And I think in Africa, it's notable because there really is a chance to um, create an energy system that is dominated by these new technologies because uh, we're starting from such a low baseline, it could really be a, a different way to build an energy system and to power an economy. Um, uh, I think what, where I would, I would say we need to be a bit more careful with kind of techno-optimistic narratives is there's just so much around the, the context in which technologies are are deployed really, really matters and could really constrain the efficacy. And so, you know, an example, just back to your, your the Kenya um, point is, you know, we just, Kenya just uh, some years ago commissioned the biggest wind farm in Africa and it's, it's amazing. It's a big point of pride for us, but 
you know, our grid is not up to the task, you know, and so thus managing this variable resource has been really difficult for us because it's now such a big share of our energy system because our energy system is so small. So you add one big wind farm and it's very dominant. And so, you know, there's a lot of instability in our grid now. We've had quite a number of nationwide uh, blackouts over the past year, uh, which is connected to this, you know, not inability to integrate this variable resource. And so I think a lot of investors, donors, players are really interested in um, building new uh, generation infrastructure and there's less interest or I, I would say less profitability in strengthening the ecosystem. It's not just the grid, it's some of the institutional capacities in grid management, all of this kind of unsexy stuff that is hard to monetize. And so um, I, I would say to really make technology work, uh, there have to be complementary investments in the broader ecosystem. Otherwise, we could really miss the boat. And you know, this is true for every single technology um, where there's a lot of promise, but it's not just. You know, I think a lot of people like to focus on the technology because that's easy. But you know, you guys and your listeners are think about policy and institutions, and you know, those are messy. And so it's easier to focus on the technology solution. But the technology solution absolutely will succeed or fail around what the ecosystem looks like around it. You were mentioning about the technology, but infrastructure is also a crucial component of energy distribution. How can Africa overcome the barriers to building robust energy infrastructure that serves both urban and rural communities effectively? Sorry, I just think about this for a sec. Uh, I talked about that. So please, you, I did all this out. <laughs> Basically, there's, I think to, to really understand how you build infrastructure that can serve all of these different use cases and contexts is um, basically having flexibility is really, really crucial. So, you know, there are some uh, situations in which like a you know, a grid connection makes sense to do a grid connection, and there are some situations in which, if you're a last mile rural customer, maybe like an off grid solution makes sense. And so, what is needed, and then everything in between. And so, what is needed is a lot of flexibility in terms of how we think about what infrastructure and um, uh, what infrastructure needs to be put in place for different use cases as opposed to kind of having a one size fits all. Um, in terms of how you I, I think really central also in addition to having flexibility and understanding the context and the end uses. Um, uh, just I think financing for infrastructure is just really, really difficult. And this is where like public financing will play a big role, like places where private finance doesn't flow as easily. Um, the public sector really, really needs to fill that gap. Um, and I, this is what we need the DFIs, the MDABs, all of these different development partners to come together to figure out the parts of the ecosystem where public finance will be a big, play a big role or can unlock private finance, essentially, because um, uh, it's, it's 
it's it's it, it's you you could get really lopsided investments if you don't kind of think about which which capital needs to be deployed where and how by whom. Thank you. So on that note, you just spoke about the importance of partnerships and effectively deploying capital where it's needed. So can you just expand on how important international partnerships are and if there are any noticeable collaborations in regards to the mission of the Energy for Growth Hub that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, so the Energy, Energy for Growth Hub is, uh, we actually call ourselves a global think tank. Um, uh, and even if we're headquartered in Washington, D.C., uh, we're global not just because we cover global issues, but we're global because our network is global. So we are actually formed of a network of fellows, non-residential fellows, all over the world. Um, which is incredible. So our core team is actually quite small, and then we have this incredible network of um, fellows, and these fellows are everything from PhD students, postdocs, established, really senior, like you know, uh, well-known academics, practitioners, uh, former like you know diplomats, current and former diplomats. So it's, it's just a real mix of um, of of sharp thinkers and. You know, so I would say like a really great example of how partnerships work is just really in the structure of the hub because this really enables us to have access to what really sharp thinkers all over the world are thinking. And our job is to try and translate those insights into policy contexts um, and to kind of tap into um, the thinking of this network. Uh, one example I can give is uh, one project that I'm working on right now with colleagues, which is around um, energy modeling and energy research um, on the African continent and how this project started off was um, around COP26 were really uh, when net zero was a really leading paradigm and so everyone was making you know a net zero pledge it was kind of the the fashionable thing to do um, in the lead up to COP26 and so we started to wonder you know what does net zero mean for a context like Africa like what you know how do you from a climate justice perspective if you're just have such low emissions, such low baseline, and you need to grow your economies, consume more. Um, is this a target that makes sense or not? And, uh, and then there was a kind of connect to that. It's like, how do you even articulate a net zero goal? Like, what does it really mean to make a rigorous one? And this is something that even rich countries are kind of um, struggling with. And so uh, to help us answer that question, we just assembled a working group of our experts from all over the world. And we uh, co-chaired by myself, um, and um, um, uh, one of our advisory board members, Professor Ken Caldera, who is an eminent climate scientist. And we just had this conversation with our experts and out of it uh, came this kind of, you know, um, incredible insight, which seems maybe obvious if you're in the uh, really technical part of the energy world, but, you know, really underlying energy transition plans and zero goals is rigorous analysis, modeling, and those capacities don't really exist on the African continent. And so with this same network of experts, we've, we're, we're, we're designing and shaping a new initiative that will help invest in energy uh, modeling capacities across the continent. And so kind of understanding this issue required us to tap into expertise, some pretty technical expertise, including in the modeling space, which is extremely, extremely technical to people who understand policy, people who understand the African context. We have experts from um, 
of experience in like China, India, Latin America, who uh, you know were able to walk us through how um, energy research and energy energy modeling ecosystems were built in those contexts and what is applicable in Africa, what is not, and you know the outcome has been a really rich discussion about you know um, getting to the heart of energy transition planning in Africa and what kind of capacities are required to strengthen um, those processes. What is your vision for Africa's energy future in the next decade? And um, how can stakeholders at all levels contribute to this vision? Uh, it's an interesting question. So I don't, I, myself, Rose, you know, I, I, I can't speak for the entire continent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, and so I, I would say I don't. I don't have a vision for what Africa should do. New trajectory, a more yeah. trajectory, a trajectory. So, but the thing that I'm really passionate, like the thing that I'm passionate about, and that I would like to see realized, is for African expertise to really rise and um, be, you know, to have just somehow to to see African experts. Um, that you know that are at the forefront of shaping what this future is because right now there's really it, it, the system is quite lopsided so a lot of energy policies emanate from the west and from the big institutions and development partners and their kind of ecosystem of consultants international consultants like they actually wield a lot of power and African partners are kind of kind of they, they're kind of along for the ride because so much of their agenda setting comes from without and there are a lot of political and historical reasons for that, but the bit that I'm really passionate about is what happens when you build a knowledge ecosystem that produces world-class experts and you insert them into that conversation and those experts are in their local context. You know, um, that really starts to change the discussion. And so the thing that I really am passionate about, uh, that I've always been passionate about is developing African thought leadership and African expertise and have that drive the discussions over the energy future and, and have that expertise be in conversation with local stakeholders, with policy, with the public, uh, have that expertise be generating a lot of data and evidence for that context. We really have really poor data about what's really happening in Africa, which makes it hard to prescribe pathways and also have that expertise training the next generation and just really have a vibrant knowledge ecosystem. Um, you know, I would love to to be, you know, to, to have uh, more government clubs just like what, you know, like, like you have here uh, all over the continent so that even young people are, you know, writing pieces for their own IR journal and, you know, and are kind of shaping the debate in their own way. And so I think we just need investment in that so that we can have a richer debate um, and new ideas that come from within that can really shape the future. And last question is, if there was one thing you wanted a listener to the, this podcast to take away from this conversation, what would that one thing be? Oh my goodness. It's <laughs> tough. You ask that like, oh, this is an easy question to close. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out it's uh, the hardest question of all. Um, so... Maybe, I guess, big takeaway with regards to uh, uh, energy in Africa. 
maybe I would say, you know, if this, if, if this is something that perhaps a listener doesn't um, have front of mind and that's a new topic for them. Big takeaways are, you know, Africa is not a country. Um, it's extremely diverse. And so it's really important to understand that um, each country has kind of its unique starting point, its unique resource endowment, its unique internal and external political policy kind of ecosystem constraints. Um, and, and so uh, really, really important to think a little bit more, to think about Africa as a collection of these diverse states. Um, and, and, and because otherwise you could kind of start to fall into traps because, you know, South Africa is so different from Kenya. So, you know what I mean? And yet we talk about these countries collectively. Um, so I would say that there's, there's a lot going on in this context because they're just many different countries. Um, and, and this is something that the discourse needs to start to follow a bit more. The second thing I would like them to take away is that um, there are a lot of challenges, but there is a lot of promise. So, uh, you know, Africa's like really got an incredible resource endowment, um, you know, a big youth population that is often framed as a challenge, but could actually be a big, you know, big source of potential if we leverage it. And so, um, you know, basically, if we can get our thinking right, if we can drive investments um, into the places where they are needed, um, then you know we can really really start to see um, Africa, African countries build, design energy systems of the future and teach the rest of the world what um, an energy system that is looks nothing like what we've seen before could look like and create prosperity. Great, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Okay. Mm -hmm.